last week I was, man, I had a privilege to, to hang out with some dudes that are planting churches all across the nation. I'm a part of a, a cohort called Leaders Collective, and I had to apply and get accepted and go through this interview process and all that stuff. Um, and, and I was accepted, and this was our second meeting. So basically what Leaders Collective is, is a group of pastors, and I'm in the church planting cohort, so that means you were no uh, further than 18 months from planting, or you were right around that two-year mark. We planted about 19 months ago, um, and so basically what we do is we gather together every six weeks, and we hear from other planters, other pastors that have, have been doing this a lot longer than I have, and we go through intensives. And so this past week in Richmond, um, we were able to spend three days, Monday through Thursday, um, we were able to spend three whole days learning from other pastors on what it means to, to, to lead a growing church. That was the intensive this week. Um, we all had opportunities to preach. We were given um, a text, and then they gave us 30 minutes to prepare, and then we had eight minutes. We could only go eight minutes and share. And so all six of us guys shared the same text um, eight minutes, 30 minutes to prepare. And, and I love Leaders Collective for that because they're like, look, guys, there's going to be those weeks where your life is just in the toilet and you're going to have a Saturday night to prepare a message. And you need to know how to prepare a message that you just learned about 30 minutes ago and share it quickly. And so it's just stuff like that. that it's like they, their whole mantra is healthy churches for a long time, healthy pastors for healthy churches for a long time. And I share that. There's actually a picture of the dudes that I was with. And so um, three of us are in North Carolina. We're in Kernersville, Wilmington, and Durham. A brother is in Atlanta. A brother is in Cadillac, Michigan. And then Jeff Toomer, who leads it, is in Virginia. And so I just wanted to throw this picture up. And, and some of the other guys are, were our pastors at the church that we were at. It's called Redemption Hill in Richmond, Virginia. And I throw this up, and I, and I share all this. Because as we end the book of Acts today, looking at Acts 28, part two, I just want you to know, in case you forgot, that there are faithful men planting faithful churches all across this nation, all across this world, but I just get to hang out with some that are in this nation, South Atlanta, Cadillac, Michigan, where they have 10,000 folks, Durham, Wilmington, Kernersville, like we are in places, Dallas, Texas, Faithful men planting faithful churches all across this nation. And so I wanted to share that because, once again, you know, just a, a gentle reminder that it's still happening. But it's still happening as we close the book of Acts. Like, the formula has never changed, right? I mean, as we've been navigating the book of Acts, what have we seen? Missional God pouring out a missional spirit so that his people can be on mission. The guys, I mean, including me, we, we shared a van driving to uh, Reston, Virginia, two hours from Richmond. Like, we shared a, a minivan, all of us. So I, I realize how imperfect all of us are planting churches. Like, we found that out really quickly. Um, but the formula is simple. Imperfect people with a missional spirit poured out by a missional God so that we can be on mission. That is happening. And it's still happening as we, as a church, close the book of Acts until a later time. It's still, still happening. And last week, what we saw was what? That God's not done until he's done. That God is not done in Dallas. God's not done in Kernersville. God's not done in Michigan, Atlanta, Durham, Wilmington, wherever. God is not done until he's done. We saw in Acts 27 that Paul was in a shipwreck. God wasn't finished. 
Then we saw in the beginning of Acts 28, not only does Paul survive a shipwreck, but then he's gathering firewood for the people he's with, and he gets bitten by a snake. And we're like, okay, I survived this shipwreck, and now I'm going to die from this snake bite. No, God's not done. And then in verse 14, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, kind of just drops this little uh, promise bomb that we've been culminating up to where he says what? And then we reached Rome. It's like Luke... The, the, the promise to Paul to reach Rome has been happening for years now at this point. I mean, for us, it's been chapters. But for Paul, it's been years since he heard the promise of God that said, hey, you will reach Rome. And then Luke, in writing Acts in, in, in chapter 28, verse 14, just kind of drops it like, yeah, after all the, the shipwreck and the snake bites and, and healing uh, Publius's father from dysentery, like after all that, we reached Rome. And what we saw in that was that no matter what God promises us, because seldom does God's promise or calling come with details or a timeline. No matter that, when God gives us a promise, he's not done till he's done, and he is faithful to come through. He's faithful to come through, as he says in Acts chapter 1, wait for the Spirit, wait for the Spirit, and when you have my Spirit, incredible things will be done, churches will be planted, people will be saved, people will be healed. As he says that in Acts chapter 1, he's still saying that today in 2022. And so with that in mind, we close the book of Acts, looking at Acts 28 part 2, and we begin in verse 17. Let's, let's check it out together. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. That's really important. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And after they examined me, they wanted to release me, since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. The Spirit is speaking, y'all. I don't know. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, Halloween, that's some spooky vibes right there. Hopefully it's the Holy Ghost, no other ghost, you know? Uh, here we go. Where are we at? For this reason, verse 20, I have asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And then they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers have come and, and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. And so as Paul enters into Rome, I love that Luke tells us that he spent three days before he approached anybody. And I would like to think that Paul, being the man that he was, realized what I'm about to do I must wait on the Lord, and I must spend at least three days praying, gathering thoughts, planning what I should say. And he spent three days, and then he calls a council before the Jewish leaders. Now, within Rome during this time, around A.D. 60, there is an estimated, we believe, that there were at least between 20,000 to 50,000 Jews living in Rome during this time. Inscriptional evidence of, from archaeologists have found that there was probably at least during this time 11 different synagogues. And so the Jewish leaders were in Rome. Now the gospel has been there. This is not going to be the first time that someone preaches to them. 
But we know that there were a lot of Jewish leaders, and it's interesting that we point out that, that, that reality, because who started this entire thing? I mean, who started this journey to Rome? And don't Jesus juke me, I know it was God. But was it not the Jewish leaders? That upon the preaching of the gospel and people being saved and, and the Spirit pouring out on Gentiles, was it not Jewish leaders who said, this man is a blasphemer. This man, Paul, he tells all of our people to reject circumcision, reject the festivals, reject traditions. It was the Jewish leaders who literally tried to beat Paul to death before the government stepped in and arrested him. And I'm just thinking about this because if I'm Paul and I know that I've gotten to Rome as God said I would, I'm keeping my head down until I can get to Caesar and plead my innocence and get out of here. If I'm Paul, I'm not seeking out Jewish leaders because the track record with them has not been too healthy. Yet that's not who Paul is. And he actually calls these men together. And not only does he call them together, but how he does it is important. And you know this. I mean, think about this. Is what you do for your spouse as important as how you do it? You see, I've learned because my wife is a person of like, hey, this was the first time we you know, had a milkshake, so let's commemorate the day. And Snapchat hasn't helped, right? Because Snapchat, you can see six years ago we were doing this. Five years ago, on this day, we were doing this. And my wife loves stuff like that. And so when you get like birthdays or Valentine's Day or anniversary, it just ramps up. And so here's what I've learned in six years of marriage. It's not that I just get Emily a present for her birthday. It's how I give her the gift, how I do it. And so this past February, because I'm such a romantic, I'm not. She woke up to not just a gift, but she had a little cake and flowers and a balloon and a card on the island ready for her when she came into the kitchen. It's not just what I do, get her something because it's her birthday. It's how I do it. And so you know that it's the same with you. And maybe you're like, well, I'm not married. It's not just that you do stuff, but it's how you do it, right? Let's Jesus juke all of us. What does God say? Anything you do, do it for the glory of God. It's not just that you do something, but how you do something. And Paul is showing us this because it's not just that he called the folks together. What, how did he do it? What did he say? Did you catch the key word? He calls them brother. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm about to plead my innocence, so I need all the Jewish leaders. Tell your friends, get here now. He calls them together, and he uses this term brothers. And by Paul addressing them as brothers, he is showing them and us what we have known this entire time. He is not against them. He is for them. He is for the salvation of the Jewish leaders. This has never been a legal battle. And you're like, what are you talking about? Paul's been in prison for literally two and a half years at this point. He's appealing to Caesar, the highest court of the land. Of course it's a legal battle. I don't think it is. I think Paul has recognized that this has always been not a legal battle, but a spiritual battle. Listen to these words that he writes in Ephesians 6. For our struggle, this is Paul writing, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What does Paul know? It's never about flesh and blood people. 
It's about the ruler of this world orchestrating the carnal desires that we all have and orchestrating this world as he sees fit. What did Jesus and all of the apostles say about the devil? That he is the enemy. Jesus said he's the one that jumps the gate to try to steal the sheep. What did Jesus say in John 10? That the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. They don't mince words. Jesus himself testified that there is a ruler of this world that is after you. He wants to literally destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy this church. And Paul recognizes that. And he's like, man, these Jewish leaders aren't my enemy. And I was taking notes down. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down too. That simply, if we see people around us as enemies, then we will never be on mission. If we see people around us as enemies... We will never take the gospel to them. Because it sounds really nice when Jesus says, you know, like, like love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If someone slaps you, let them slap you on the other side. And if someone asks for your coat, give them your tunic as well. Like that, that sounds really good, but let us understand something living in 2022. If we view other people on the other side of the political aisle, I mean, let's just, let's, let's just take politics. Because the world is so politicized right now. If you see the Democrats or Republicans as your enemy, that begins to infiltrate everything that you do in life and how you view other people. And if you view, view them as strictly enemies because they don't talk like you, vote like you, or look like you, you will never be on mission. But if you recognize that, hey, my battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler of this world who is orchestrating and pulling the strings that he sees fit to demolish everything that the Lord is building, then we could actually get some things done. Now, before you ask, well, so do we just ignore culture? Of course not. I mean, did Paul ever ignore culture? We push against culture. In a culture that says this is the reality of babies in the womb, we push against that. In a culture that says sexuality is king, we push against that. In a culture that says, get more money, more power, we push against that. Of course we push against culture, but those people aren't our enemies. One of the, the brother churches to us, uh, Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida, um, they, they're so, they've been so generous to our church. And one of the ministries that they have, and I love this, is, is almost every weekend they have a ministry that goes into uh, strip club parking lots, and they basically just minister to the women coming in and out. Like, they don't, they, they're not holding signs. They're just ministering to them. The, the women that are, they'll prayer walk the parking lot. And if any woman would listen to their voice, they will just share about dignity and integrity and how there can be hope found in Jesus. They view the people going in to enjoy that kind of thing. They're not enemies. They're just being ruled by carnal desires because the enemy would love nothing more than to say you have no dignity. You have no hope. Sell your body. That's right. And they come alongside. And they see that there is dignity. And they preach, these people aren't our enemies. Our battle is not flesh and blood. Because the, the reality of the world that we live in is that everything that promises success around us, everything that promises hope, it never really satisfies I'm not picking on him, but he's been in the news this week. Tom Brady. How do you think Tom Brady is feeling this week? Quarterback of the Bucks, seven-time Super Bowl champion, 
When people think of who is the best quarterback, it's like, obviously, it's Tom Brady. How do you think he's feeling this morning? It just came out this week that he divorced his wife after 13 years. Two young kids. You think he's happy this morning? You think he's feeling joyful this morning? You see, so many things in this world promise success and promise hope and promise fulfillment and promise satisfaction, and then they just don't. They, they, they just don't. And so Paul is recognizing, brothers, come to me, because what he's about to do is share the gospel. And so he's not saying enemies, hear my case. He's saying, brothers, come hang out with me a little bit. Can I share with you what's going on? And you say, Adam, how do you know that Paul had that attitude? Look back down at verse 20. He says, for this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. On the very forefront of this conversation, Paul is saying, for this reason. What's the reason? For this hope. What is the hope? Paul is saying, I am in this chain because I'm for you, not against you. What is the reason? What is the hope? The hope of Israel? I mean, what is all that about? Write this down. The hope of the mission is Jesus. And if the hope is Jesus, then that means the hope for their world and ours is not better legislation. The hope of the mission is Jesus. The hope of this world is Jesus. Give them what satisfies. You see, it would be so good to get those women that 1122 ministers to out of the strip club but it's even better to say you don't just have dignity, but you have worth in Jesus Christ. That this isn't just bad for you, harmful for you, degrading to you, but that there is a better life for you. Guys, it is so good to give people food. It is so good that people have all the supplies they need. World relief, right? Refugees coming into this country. It is so good that they have exactly what they need. But it is better when we can say, but not only do we want your good, we want your, 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 your best. And the hope for this is Jesus. It would be so good for us today to be on mission, giving people food and clothing and doing what Jesus said when he said, man, when you feed them, you're feeding me. When you came to visit me in prison, you were visiting me. It would be so good to do all that stuff but it is even better to say, hey, here's some food and here's some Jesus. And so the question that we have today is what is your hope? Because I promise you this, whatever your hope is, that's what you'll be passing out. Whatever your hope is, where you find your satisfaction, that will ooze out of you. What is your hope today? Jesus was the hope for Paul. Jesus and his gospel and his glory was the hope for Paul. And you say, how do we know that? I mean, I know he's saying the hope of Israel. And as people living on this side of the resurrection, we're like, of course Paul's talking about Jesus. But we don't have to guess. He just says it. Because after the Jews say, look, we haven't heard anything about you. But we do want to hear more about this religious sect. Basically, we've heard about Christianity. And we want to hear more. Why was Jesus, or how was Jesus, the hope for Israel, the hope for these people? Well, Paul tells us in verse 23, let's look back down at it. After arranging a day with them, 
many came to him at his lodging. And from dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Guys, you want to be on mission? Two simple things you can do. Because I, I know as we talk about mission, and, 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 and truthfully, like, that can be a big category. Like, what does that look like for me in my context? Like, I, I don't know a lot. Like, this whole religion thing is new to me. Like, you know, what does it look like? Well, two quick things that I think we can all do to, to be more missional, because we see it. Number one is be hospitable. Number two is preach Jesus. Did you recognize that Paul, after spending three days gathering his thoughts and probably praying his tail off for what was about to happen, after they say we want to hear more, he got his place ready for them to come over? Now, a lot of times it is necessary for us to go. I'm, I'm not someone who says, hey, get your unsaved friends into this church and, and, and we'll just give them five steps to be saved. Like, like, I would much rather you guys be in their homes, sharing life with them. But sometimes it's just good for Christians to be Christians and be hospitable. Paul was ready for them. I bet Paul had seats. I wonder if there was a meal. Paul was ready for these brothers to come over to his house. I mean, yesterday was such a good example of this. No strings attached, loving the town. I had one guy offer to pay for the hot dogs. And he was like, I was like, no, 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 man, you, you, don't, you don't need to pay. And he was like, no, I'll, I'm going to pay. I'm going to give you something. I'm like, no, you don't understand. These are free. Like, I'm not just cutting you a deal. Like, they're free for everybody. And he was like, oh, really? Like, just, yeah, really. Like, it, it's, it's, not, it's not hard. In fact, here's something cool. Um, a lady who we did not expect it uh, uh, outside this church donated 250 hot dogs and buns to us. Like, we went to pay that morning. She's like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like I should do it. Like, that's how she, she was. I called her on the phone. She's like, yeah, I just felt like I should do it. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, awesome. So we're giving hot dogs away, right? No strings attached. Come get candy. Come get hot dogs. Just watch a movie. Like, no strings attached. We are going to be hospitable because here's what we know. If I'm off on a Sunday, people will put up with it. If the music doesn't touch them like they think it should, oh, well. But if they don't feel welcome, they ain't coming back here. I talked to a couple yesterday that were checking out churches, and they, shout out to Citizens Kids, one of the things that they said to me was like, not only are the adults friendly here, but the kids are friendly here. They, they, they said how, how, how the kids here mentioned to their daughter how much they liked their daughter's costume. And they were like, that just doesn't happen. Like, they made her feel welcome. Now, I don't know if it was Citizens Kids or not, but I think it was because we teach them that. Um, hospitality it's easy be ready for you so number one you want to be on mission be hospitable number two preach jesus and maybe you're like man i just don't know about all this stuff like i i, I don't know a lot about it and paul was brilliant as he preached jesus because for his context jewish leaders he met them where they were at what do you mean by that adam the scriptures tell us that he expounded on what the law of moses and the prophets. For Jewish leaders, what they knew, like what they knew knew, was the law of Moses and the prophets. They knew the Old Testament. And so what Paul did was he showed how Jesus was intertwined throughout the Old Testament. And he said, oh, who, I mean, I, I'm sure Paul said stuff like this. Oh, who's better than Moses? Jesus. You remember Elijah? Oh, man, Jesus is the greater Elijah. 
You remember Abraham? You know our father Abraham, he had a lot of sons. You know who's better than Abraham? Jesus. He said, everything that you have read, everything that you have studied, let, let me tell you, it all points to him. And you're like, man, Paul, that's brilliant. Not really, because Jesus did it first. Matthew 22, it'll be on the screen. Let's read it together. Matthew 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked the question to test him, which is so ironic. Like, an expert in the law is asking the lawgiver a question about the law, but he don't know. He said, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Excellent question. There's hundreds of laws. And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the what? Law and the prophets depend on these two commands. What Jesus is saying here, as he's speaking once again to a Jewish leader who knew the law, knew the Old Testament, he's saying everything comes down to you loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. And as he says, all of this depends on the law and prophets, what he is saying is essentially that loving God and loving your neighbor is the coat rack on which you hang your coat of the law and prophets. And if you take me away, and you take loving your neighbor and loving God away, then you have no coat rack to hang your coat of law and prophets. What he is saying is those things are not as supreme as me. Things like that got Jesus killed. And so Paul here is once again using this verbiage, using this language, using this idea that says you guys know the law pretty well. And you want to listen more about it? Then I will contextually meet you where you're at. You know the law and the prophets? They're like, yeah, yeah, we do. This is where Jesus comes in on that. And maybe right now you're like, well, that's great, but like, I don't really know a lot about the Old Testament. I don't know about law, law and prophets. Like, like, I didn't take minor prophets in seminary. Well, I keep saying this phrase that Paul met them where they're at because that's exactly what you were called to do. So maybe, just maybe, in your house this week, you're not going to have uh, Jewish scholars sitting around your table that are like, show me Jesus in the Old Testament. I mean, you might, I don't know, but you probably won't. But could you have people sitting around your table, working with you at work, going to school with you, that don't know the law and the minor prophets, but they do know, like Tom Brady knows this morning, that things of this world don't satisfy. And contextually, you get to meet them where they're at. When they say things like, man, my life is a wreck. Oh, man, I know what that feels like. Here's Jesus. Man, I just don't know. Like, I hate this person. Can you believe what they said, what they did? And you're like, man, I've had that feeling before. But here's Jesus. Like, that's the great thing about mission. You contextualize where you're at. Paul was speaking to men who were like, show me. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. But to the people all around us that aren't Jewish scholars but are just human sufferers, we get to contextualize and say, Jesus is better. Say, Jesus is good. It all comes down to this. Who is Jesus? Right? And so today, we don't have to contextualize to a Jewish audience. We can just contextualize to the people around us that are really struggling with hope. 
that are really struggling with what's going on in their lives. And that is what Paul is doing here. And here's the good news. Verse 24, what did it say? Some actually believed. Others didn't, but some actually did. And the tragic reality we live in, especially if we have this focus for mission, the tragic reality we live in is that not everyone will accept the truth of Christ even though they hear it time and time and time and time and time again. There will be people in your life, in your job, in your family, in your church that will hear the gospel over and over and over and over again and could probably tell you what that means, but will never actually come to believe it. And Paul recognizes this. He knows that some in his setting will hear it and will hear it and will hear it, but they won't actually hear it. And so for that reason, this is what he writes in verse 25. Luke is, is telling about this, verse 25, as we land the plane today, Here's what Paul says after. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. And so Paul is about to say something that those who did not believe, they left. Like they were disagreeing among themselves. Like Paul did a really great job of shoving a wedge into brotherhood, right? It's like, take your pick, and, and they split. And this is what Paul said. The Holy Spirit it was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. So Paul is interpreting Isaiah 6 here. And Paul is saying, no, the, the Spirit was absolutely right. This is what it means. Quoting Isaiah 6. Go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. Have you ever heard something, but you didn't understand it? And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. And they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So the prophet, who Paul is, once again, was he not just walking through the prophets? So it's just natural that Paul gets to the prophets. And he says, this is what the Spirit meant through Isaiah. That you will hear, but you won't really hear. Emily tells me that all the time, that I was listening, but I'm not listening. I'm like, yes, I can text and listen to you at the same time, I promise. Uh, but sometimes I don't. Um, so he's saying through the Spirit, we know. We know what Isaiah was talking about. He was talking about you guys. <laughs> like, you hear, but you never hear. And what we see here is that faith has always required two things, humility and repentance. Through the prophet Isaiah, what we are seeing is that some people will never be humble and they will never repent. This is the reality that we live in as we go on mission. Faith from the very beginning up until today has always required humility and repentance. Well, what do you mean, Adam? It takes humility to say, I am dead in my sin and I need a savior. It takes humility to say, my life is not my own. If I follow myself, it doesn't lead to good places. That takes humility. But then it's followed by repentance. That says, not only am I dead, but Lord, forgive me of my sins. I repent of those things, and I strive to follow you. And Paul is interpreting Isaiah here, because just as the people rejected Isaiah, and just as the people rejected Jesus' message, they are also going to reject the gospel as Paul shares it. In all facets, God will be rejected by some. And that should break our hearts should break our hearts, knowing that some people will hear this message over and over and over and over and over again and do nothing with it. However, 
some will believe. Look at verse 28. Therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you that this salvation of God, what Isaiah was talking about, has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. It has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. What Paul is saying is that yes, while you are rejecting and some men in this room are believing, what ultimately this means is that Isaiah was not just talking about the Jewish people. Jesus was not just saving the Jewish people. Paul, I am not just here to preach to the Jewish people because you know what? We have seen the Spirit fall on Gentiles. We have been on mission, and now we recognize that as the prophet Isaiah said, some will hear, but they will never hear. It's just the reality that this is no longer just for Jewish men and women. This is for all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And what Paul is saying is, guess what? I've been in those towns, and I've seen the Spirit fall on them like it fell on us. I've been in these places. And for Paul to make such claim would appall a Jewish leader, especially a Jewish male leader. To say, no, I've, I've seen like Gentiles are saved too. Paul's saying they are coming into the same covenant that you think you are in with the God of Israel. That the God of Israel has opened his arms so that all nations could come to know him. They would be appalled. They would be offended. And they would certainly be like, who is this guy? Like, no wonder you're in chains. Like, we want to kill you too. But there is great hope. And that while some may reject, some will hear. And as we end the book of Acts this morning, I just want to leave you with this thought. As you go to work, as you go to school, as you live with the people you live with, and as you think, man, how can I be on mission? Um, I just want to leave you with this thought. And this is ultimately why we go. Like, honestly. We go on mission knowing that some will reject, but believing that some will hear. See, what drives mission is the belief that someone I preach to may come into relationship with Jesus. What drives the mission is the hope that some of the women going into that strip club down in Jacksonville will actually stop to hear the message of Jesus and maybe be saved from that. What drives the mission of world relief is that some will come into world relief torn apart, walls up, depressed, tired, hungry, yet their needs will be met and they will hear the hope of the gospel. The reality that we live in, some people will never believe, but some people will. And the good news is, it's not up to you and I to say, well, they'll believe and they won't. They'll believe and they, like, it's not up to us. You know what your job is? Be hospitable and preach Jesus to people who don't look like you, people who don't talk like you, people who don't vote like you. Get them around your table. And be on mission. We go on mission knowing that some will reject, but believing that some will hear.